What's up, everybody? Um, this is Matt DeMarinas from Light and Blue Review, joined by John Atawa from the Omaha World Herald, coming to you live from Media Room after a fun basketball game. Was it fun? <laughs> I said the word fun, and I got some backlash because like it, people weren't having fun when I said it. But uh, fans probably didn't have yeah. fun until the end. But it's fun to do. It's fun to watch those type of games, even though like oh, one I team did. is clearly collapsing in front of your eyes. It's still fun to I like have it. like high intensity pressure situations okay. and watch how athletes respond to them. But uh, Creighton blows a sixteen point second half lead, um, but then finds a little bit extra left in the tank and ends up going on a little bit of a run in overtime to build a lead and. And they held on to this one uh, to win 76-70 over Providence. Um, get a season sweep over the Friars for the first time since uh, they've been conference foes. And still in the hunt for the three seed in the Big East. Still in the hunt for somehow an at-large bid um, <laughs> in the NCAA tournament for the third year in a row. Um, doing all the things they need to do in March. Um, and yeah, this is where we're at. We're talking about meaningful basketball at the end of the season, which is probably what if both of us have any rooting interest in any of this, it's probably that, right? That these games matter at the end. Yeah? Sure, I'd say that. So what's your takeaway from the way Creighton collapsed and then recovered in time to right. salvage it? Well, I think its ability to not... I mean, it's kind of been a theme of the season for this group is to take hits and endure setbacks, but then bounce back. And it hasn't always done that great in games. In games, right. Um, but today it did. And I thought it against Marquette it did too. Mm-hmm. Just taking some hits and Mark, well, when Marcus Howard hit that step back three and put him up four with five minutes left, Creighton responded with a 10-0 run. And then here against Providence, below the lead, goes overtime, Providence takes the lead twice, and uh, and then Creighton answers with a 7-0 run. And Tyshawn Alexander made some big-time plays and you, you said fun, and it's funny because, like, I looked at Tyshawn after he made those plays. He wasn't having fun. Like, he, that dude yeah, he was, was serious. He was, like, yeah. <laughs> he had. Stone cold killer. Like Yeah, he had a like, look yeah, on his face that I don't know if I've seen before. Mm-hmm. And his guys were trying to celebrate with him, and he's like, no. <laughs> he just, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I read his lips, I'm not 100% sure he said this, but I thought, so they called timeout. He, like, looks at the crowd, glares at the crowd or whatever, and, and raises his arm to make him. Uh, you know, to encourage him for more no- more noise. And then he just suddenly shook his head and said, "Damn, <laughs> like, what just happened? <laughs> Why did it happen?" But thank goodness we're done. Right. You know, like, and obviously the game wasn't over at that point. But I just thought he had this look about him where he was like, "We're not losing," and I'm gonna make sure that we don't. So made the big three, got the steal, put him up five in overtime, and um, that was a quick switch too because that possession maybe. They were moving the ball well that possession, but nothing was really opening up for them. And then all of a sudden, um, well, the, the, key, the, the skip pass the finds moment, Tyshawn. It was, it was. I mean, credit Tyshawn for hitting the shot. And mm-hmm. this, I wrote a story basically all about Tyshawn being being a go-to guy at the end. But Connor Cashall made the play. He he, yep. he split a double team, and like if you split a double almost team, almost lost the ball. Yeah, too. he did. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of wild, right. but yeah. he but he split a double team, and when you do that against a zone defense, like you get into the crack, like you get into the gap of the zone, mm-hmm. and then he was able to uh, dribble to the middle, and they had to recover to him. He he got, I mean, he was guarded by two guys, and suddenly he beats both of those guys, so Providence obviously has to recover, which opens a lot um, around the court, and he found Tyshawn, and, and Tyshawn made the shot. But And then came across the court to the other side, maybe what? There couldn't have been ten seconds between those between him hitting that and him stealing the ball. Right? Yeah, something like that. Ten yeah. seconds maybe because yeah. I think he hit the shot with like two two fifteen on the clock, mm-hmm. and then the dunk was two minutes. Yeah, and as soon as they crossed half court, they tried to throw that little lazy pass to the wing, and he just jumped it, picked it off, took it in for you know a dunk, hung on the rim a little bit, the little pull up. I think Eddie Cooley was mad about that, but <laughs> yeah, he swung on it a little <laughs> yeah, bit. He did, but uh, he I, was he was hyped. Didn't you? Those were, that was a big moment. What do you think about that? So the first play of overtime, he almost got one. Tyshawn did. They they made a pass on the perimeter, or he poked the ball away or something. And, yeah. and it, it was like a they dove for it. It looked, on like, the other it looked like, like he had it. He did. And he came out with it, and then like 
I think Martin was down there too, right? They, it was like a well, little, no, I mean, it, it looked like he had it before it went to the ground. Like he had control. Like he was, he knocked it away, and it looked like he had the ball. He was about ready to dribble it, but kind of got knocked off course by the Providence player who was also fighting for the ball. And then they went to the floor, and maybe he had it for a second. Martin went to the floor, but then Providence got the ball, got a layup, and got a layup out of it. And it was like Creighton didn't get rewarded for the effort mm-hmm. on that one. You're like, okay, is this just like a maybe? This is it. Like, yeah, it felt like Providence was like just do everything was going Providence's way, right? Because yeah. that that's a play where Tyson. You know, he stepped up in that moment and made a play that you think should be re- rewarded with a foul or a bucket or something good. And, yeah. and instead, they were kind of hit in the mouth. It was like a gut punch moment where Providence, the ball just bounced Providence way. Credit Pro- Providence for hustling, too, to go get it. But mm-hmm. also, like, Tyshawn Ty Alexander initiated it, didn't get rewarded for the effort, and then they're down two in overtime. Providence takes its first lead since, what, like, the opening minutes of the game, <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. I don't think it had led since it was like four to two or something. So that to me was it was impressive that the Jays were able to sort of reset and s- stay committed and focused and not lose their. Uh, I mean, their desire to battle. That's what a mature team looks like. A mature team can handle the ebb and flow of a game. A mature team can respond when things aren't going well. They can build a lead when things are going well. Um, that was missing, you know, earlier because they weren't mature. They made a lot of immature, and even tonight they made some sloppy made some plays mistakes, that, like, man. you know what I mean. But, but before you, they can make those sloppy mistakes that they did and blow that lead like they did, and it would consume them. They wouldn't have the pop they needed to yeah. stand up in overtime and, like you said, like, you know, stick your chest out and say, no, Providence, this ain't happening. You're not getting us not here, not on a home floor, not like this. You know I mean? It felt like a moment where Creighton, like, if you're looking for reasons to figure out why this team has so much potential and why internally they see growth, Tonight was an example of it within a situation that was going against them. It was going sideways. They had to- lost complete control of the game. They had no flow offensively. Uh, Providence's zone had stifled their ball movement. They were taking contested, long, late shot clock threes, yeah. you know, just because nothing was going according to plan. And then on the defensive end, Providence was kind of imposing their will physically, you know, taking it to the rim, forcing foul calls, uh, just like, look, we're going to body you but we're going to get to where we need to get to no matter what, and you're not stopping us. And they just had a lot of – Providence had a lot of determination on the offensive end of the floor, and they really stifled Creighton defensively. So I think we we, we can give Providence some credit for erasing the 16-point lead as much yeah. as we can for for Creighton blowing it. Yeah, yeah. I because I thought they switched their intensity level. They raised it on defense. They were more active. Um, they might have even extended their zone farther out, mm-hmm. it seemed. And but on the offensive end, I just saw a flip switch. It was like more pace to what they were doing. They attacked and transitioned a couple of times and got some easy layups. Khalif Young ran the floor really well, um, and kind of head down. I'm going to just run through you type plays by Isaiah Jackson and Alpha Diallo, who knew I would imagine that they're stronger, bulkier more physical than their, the guy who was defending them, and they just kind of, like you said, made some bully bully plays mm-hmm. to some help grown, the team. Man plays. <laughs> yeah, grown yeah. man plays. Yeah. Help the team crawl back in, <clears throat> into the game. And uh, what, did you th- what did you think about Creighton's inability to decipher that zone? Because they, they found... Well, I thought they did early. I thought they were getting good shots out of it fine. And I don't even think they got necessarily bad looks against it. it. But, I mean, they just... I think for, in the set, once they had that that sixteen point lead, I think they just and Providence started making shots, so it 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 allowed them to set up their defense, and yeah. Creighton couldn't run. Uh, that was the main key to it. But Creighton also just took way too long to get into their offense, and I also thought and they weren't using ball screens properly. Like Martin is setting them, and then they're making like Martin would come there. Oftentimes, I think I don't know, I didn't count, but oftentimes it felt like Martin would come set a ball screen. And when he was coming to set the ball screen, the ball handler would swing it, swing the ball, before he set the ball screen. So now Martin's back is churned to the ball handler, 
and he has to turn around and go set another ball screen. It just felt like everything was a little out of sync, mm-hmm. you know. And they weren't getting, they just weren't getting downhill. They weren't getting into the teeth of the zone, and that's always the key to it, is to to compromise that zone. You got to collapse it because that opens up everything else. And with the way creating spaces the floor, that's the key to be, for them being the zone. Um, so they've got to get downhill somehow, whether it's entering it into that high post situation with Tyshawn or Mitch or Davion or just attacking off the dribble in those seams that are there yeah. in that zone because it was kind of a matchup zone, so Providence was moving with it, you know, so there were seams to, for them to attack downhill. They just didn't, I think sometimes ball handlers were afraid to get trapped in no man's land and not have an outlet except for a turnover, so it just felt like it threw Creighton out of sync. And they, they made, their, the, I feel like the turnovers they made, let's see, the second, that, it was nine, they went like nine minutes with five points or whatever in the mm-hmm. second half. Mm-hmm. Seven points, I think. So I, I count um, one, two, six turnovers, and, f- and four of them during that key drought, scoring drought, four of the six turnovers, turnovers were passes. Yes. You know, so just not making, either assuming Leaving that, feet, uh, skipping with a defense or trying set. Or en- yeah. trying to enter the ball into the post, thinking like, oh, the defender can't get that. Underestimating Providence's length, maybe. Yeah, I'm, long I'm, entry passes, right? Yeah. Like, because you mentioned Providence's own extending Creighton's ball right. handlers. So the entry pass was longer than it normally is. And that allowed Providence to be able to close that gap and get deflections and steals that way. So that I think that just kind of threw them off, too, because then they started to get hesitant. Mm-hmm. And that just leads to more mistakes, you know. And, and um, they worked on zone offense a lot the last few days, so they definitely had an idea of what they wanted to do. And they seemed to be more um, locked into their game plan in the first half. But maybe that was a credit to Providence making just a couple adjustments, tweaks to its zone, and then also just increasing its activity level, moving more getting its hands on uh, in the face of a, a dribbler. Like, there were times when I felt that whoever, whether it was Marcus Zagorowski or Davion Mintz or whoever was dribbling on the ball five, six feet behind the three-point line, he had a guy in his face, like, mm-hmm. kind of bodying him up. There was one play where Marcus got hit in the face. Um, he, he It just, like, smacked in the face. Um, he was just kind of dribbling, picked up his dribble to pass and got smacked in the face and looked at the ref like, what's that? What's that? It, I bring it up not to point out that it, a foul should have been called. It's just that's how into the space Providence's guys were. Mm-hmm. Like they were, uh, especially late in the second half, they were just trying to make Creighton's guards uncomfortable, and I mm-hmm. thought they did a good job of that. Yeah, and I think the one, I think Creighton wanted to push. You know, even on makes, I don't think Creighton wanted Providence to get their to get their yeah. defense set because like. The thing I kept watching was, I know they're pulling the ball out of the bottom of the basket, but Martin was getting the ball inbounds quick, you know, because I think he knew that Creighton's best offense in that situation when the thing was kind of going sideways on him was to get into the quarter court as fast as possible and not let Providence have, you know, have maybe create a number situation where it's a three-on-two or even a three-on-three where Providence isn't matched up properly, uh, but just to try to get something, a look somewhere, where you've got a numbers advantage and Providence doesn't have their zone totally set up. I think that was kind of creating strategy. And I don't, you know, and I think once they once they cross half court and Providence defenses was set, I think they, they tried to pull it back out and survey a little too much. And that's why the clock got killed as much as it did and the air got taken out of the ball. Because I don't think, you know, holding, I don't think Creighton wanted to sit on the lead at all. I think they wanted to be smart, but I don't know if they wanted to take as much time off the shot clock as most of those possessions did. Because they ended up just having to settle for a lot of, like we said, you know, forced jump shots against the shot clock, uh, desperation plays leaving their feet, having to try to make a kickout pass for what they hoped was a rhythm three that led to turnovers, uh, forcing the ball inside, just kind of all those things that just were symbolic of Creighton being out of sync offensively. It just wasn't. It seemed like they were battling the shot clock unintentionally. Right. I don't know if you if you agree with that no, or not, but it seemed like yeah. they didn't want to use as much time as they ended up ultimately using. Right. I just checked it, by the way. This is kind of off topic, but Providence scored on 13 of its final 19 possessions of, the, of, of regulation. Felt like it, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that was just their 
was them sort of flexing their muscles and strutting and saying like we're just gonna. Which is weird because I don't buckets. know if they, I don't think they got a lot of it on the with the flex offense. I thought a lot of it was dribble handoffs. I thought it was like ISO trying stuff. to isolate yeah. matchups and attack those. Right. And offense, they got some offensive boards there. They did get some offensive but, boards for sure. Um, but I do think that that like I think they had ten seconds. I think they, points in the second you know, half. sometimes you. I, I feel like I watched Providence and they set the tone with defense and maybe. They would argue they did set the tone with defense tonight, but it really mm-hmm. felt like offensively is where they set the tone, and they started taking control of the game and dictating the tempo based on the fact that they were scoring at the rim, drawing fouls, getting offensive boards, and slowing down, like taking the air out of the ball, like you said, because they were putting it, putting it in the in the bucket and forcing yeah. Creighton to like slow up, and they can get back and get their defense set. Because that's how they can that's how they can control the pace of the game. Yeah. And dictate it from their perspective, because you know if they can if they can score and get down and get set, you know that gives them two of the three elements to control the game. They're yeah. scoring, which is taking Creighton's confidence away defensively, and then they're getting their defensive set, which is taking Creighton's pace away offensively. Yeah. So you're kind of like unraveling Creighton yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what I mean. Like we, I think it's you know. Because I think it's going to be easy to find the mistakes when we rewatch this game that Creighton made in that final 12 minutes to blow that 16-point lead. But I also think, you know, when we get too focused on... I'm not trying to defend them here, but, like, it is going to sound like that. But we get too focused on, like, what did they do wrong to blow that lead? And I think there's, like, a lot that we can give Providence credit for for taking the lead away. Mm -hmm. Because, ultimately, when they're executing offensively like they were, that's... Like I said, I thought defensive rebounding was the key to tonight because if Creighton can force misses and close out possessions, they can run and attack and transition, and that's where they can really open up the lead, and that's where they did open up the lead. So with Providence making shots, uh, attacking the offensive glass, getting second-chance opportunities and, and, and converting those, uh, scoring with the, sh- with the clock stopped at the free-throw line, which they didn't do very well, but they had opportunities to, um, and then getting their defense set and making, you know, just upping their physicality on that end of the floor and forcing Creighton into mistakes, into late shot clock desperation situations. That's where Providence deserves credit for the comeback as opposed to Creighton. Creighton's role in the collapse. Right? I mean, it's like it's a both of them had had both of them contributed to it. <clears throat> Let's highlight Connor Cash a little bit because I think an argument can be made, and I I don't know if we want to pick sides in this, because we won't both agree that he might have won the game tonight for them. Because if you think about the play we talked about earlier with with splitting the double team and finding Tyshawn for the go-ahead three, Uh, Tyshawn's dunk made it a five-point lead, but then Creighton turned it over on a baseline out of bounds when they threw it to midcourt, and it led to a a turnover and an easy layup for Providence that cut the lead to three. Mm -hmm. Creighton came down and again got into a situation where it was late shot clock. Tyshawn had to shoot a fadeaway jumper with a hand in his face, and he airballed it way short. Connor got in there, uh, wedged his guy out, caught it, laid it in to put the lead back up to five with maybe four, a minute left. Minute left. Okay, yep. that was a big play. It was like if if that's a stop for Providence, then they're coming down with a three in a three point game with a minute left. Yeah. you know what I mean. So that two huge plays for the senior. Well, and the other thing too um, is that he was in the game at that point. I think that they went to Connor because either. Mitch was in foul trouble, or they just worried about that. Yeah, it was offense, the, defense. The matchup. Were, yeah, definitely. Of, of him being, I think Mitch had to guard Isaiah Jackson, who's mm-hmm. longer and taller. Alpha Diallo, who's Diallo, big yeah. and physical. So they yeah. wanted Cashall's sturdiness and his strength. His sturdiness with one good arm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Um, so they put him in there, and, and he stepped up, made that play for, for Tyshawn. And I mean, then, think about it, he has two points and three rebounds, but... They the were two, all, it the two like points every, were right there. One of the rebounds was right there. Like yeah. those were big plays. Everything man. happened right in the, at the end. Yeah. And, and one assist. He almost had the loose ball. He, the, yeah, yeah the, he had one assist. Yeah, yeah. so and the one assist exactly. Think about yeah, all that. Yeah. The one assist, the two points, the rebound. He had that loose ball that he dove for that I don't think they ended up coming up with, but um, the one that it, uh, was rolling into the half court that he got on the floor for. Yeah. I think Providence got a rebound that he poked out of bounds and almost came up with. Just like, you know, some really heady plays. Just not giving up on possessions, uh, you know, always fighting, always sticking his nose in there, just making really tough winning plays for a guy who's kind of, you know, his time is short in this game, so he's playing like it. Yeah. So is Caleb Joseph. Like, both of those guys, 
you can clearly tell that there's there's like a sense of urgency. We talk, I think sports writers talk about that a lot with seniors and just as their careers are coming to an end and you know however the season ends up playing out at that point you, you always latch onto the sense of urgency narrative and ask them about it but like with Caleb and Connor you can totally see it like you with their intensity in practice with you know they control the huddles uh, they're constantly getting guys keeping guys encouraged keeping them confident um, and then when it's time to make plays in the game they do so I think it's really cool to see how two guys who, you know, haven't always had defined roles on this team, and for Caleb's, in Caleb's instance, always not, not having a defined role in his, you know, his Creighton career, uh, it's pretty cool to see them, like, locked in at this point and trying to fight for, you know, what they've always believed is still an opportunity to get back to the NCAA tournament as their careers are coming to an end. I mean, I thought Coach McDermott laid it out pretty well in the post-game press conference. So, with the seniors transfer transfers mm-hmm. coming off the bench and, and yeah. just their role and their impact on the team, mm-hmm. they are incredibly important. And I I've kind of been waiting for them. Probably it was like January where I was sort of waiting for them to. They they've made an imprint off the court all year and in practice all year but I was sort of waiting for them to step into this maybe a little bit more of a, of a reliability so so you knew when you put Caleb Joseph on the court what he was going to bring mm-hmm. and you knew when you put Connor Cashel what they were going to bring or what he was going to bring I feel like over the last five six games you can say that like you know what you're going to get from Connor Cashel and Caleb Joseph whereas maybe in December and early January, you didn't quite know if, if they were going to be fully able to make an impact in some way, but I feel mm-hmm. like every time that they step on the floor now, they do what they do, and that's a credit to them, I mean, settled they, into their roles, and, and they're veterans too, so like, kind of what you were saying about the urgency level, like, they don't want to stop playing. So they're going to do all they can to keep playing. <coughs> I mean, and think about what they've done on the stretch here. Like Creighton isn't is, doesn't even have a chance to win that game at Villanova without those two. Um, as shorthanded as they were, uh, they don't beat DePaul without Connor doing what he did in the first half. Yeah. They don't they don't beat Georgetown at home without Caleb going off, and they don't win tonight without Connor and Caleb doing what they did in the right. second half in overtime. So I mean, this isn't just like. Maybe us over inflating their impact, like they've literally affected winning and losing down the stretch here. It's they're the, they're probably the difference in putting Creighton over the top in some of these games that have you know could could have gone either way. They've probably been the difference in in why Creighton has a chance now, as slim as it may be, to see their name pop up on Selection Sunday, um, or to even have a chance to win the whole thing in New York, you know, just, yeah. like, they're the reason. Um, because, like, if you're trying to, like, figure out, like, what Creighton's heartbeat is, like, it's Martin Crample, it's Caleb Joseph, it's Connor Cash, it's those upperclassmen that are that are really keeping this thing together and everybody else is feeding off of that. Because that's, that's kind of how they've grown up, you know. There, there wasn't – you probably didn't think you were going to have to depend on the senior class because they weren't going to play as many minutes as the younger guys on this team. But they've kept it together – for the younger guys to have an example to look at in situations where they've kind of had to figure out how to grow up. And I think that's why you're seeing them grow up a little bit now because they've had that leadership all year and they've learned from it. And I think that's why they're in the position they are now. Um, By the way, Providence is going to be kicking itself 10 of 21. Missing front end of free throws. 10 of 21 at the free throw line and in overtime – Give up four offensive boards on six missed shots. Yeah. So after like Martin missed that, missed those two free throws on the first possession of overtime. Mm-hmm. Providence got the defensive board, and then the next miss, next four misses of Creighton. Creighton got those offensive boards. So that that was the difference, or what, that was part of the dip, what made the difference. And I feel like if you're a Providence fan, or player or coach like man we we kind of stubbed our toe at the wrong moment there. for sure so i feel like which is part of their 
like their maturity too. Yeah, like they yeah. have a lot of young guys, and they're gonna have to grow up through these. But it's tough times. Cooley too, said, so. Coach Cooley said that he kind of leaned on his veterans in that game to help bring him back. True. Took some of the young guys off the court. Yeah, that's how they got back into it for sure. Yeah. When you look at the minutes, they've. I mean, Nichols only played four minutes. Ashton Langford thirteen. Uh, Duke nineteen. Reeves twenty one. Yeah, like third like go to. Yeah. Is Malik White is he a junior? I think so. Yeah. Diallo and, and Isaiah Jackson. Yeah, I mean, Diallo was at thirty nine minutes. Jackson thirty two. Yeah. White thirty. You know, Young was at twenty four. Even Watson was only at twenty one. He felt like he didn't play much. I know. I don't. I don't really half. get it because he. Well, he. I know he. He only played like eleven minutes in the first half. I thought he was mm. a, a issue for Creighton. For sure, but I think Cooley was getting frustrated with how Martin was starting to get loose a little bit in the second half, and I think he kind of yeah. I think that was a little bit of the Watson matchup because even when Martin, even when Martin wasn't catching lobs and having easy scores, like he was backing down and getting Watson off his feet with the shot fakes right. and getting to the free throw line. So I think Cooley started to sense that an upperclassman was starting to have his way with an underclassman, and he had to go to with a little bit more experience on the floor. It does seem that Creighton. Although I don't think Providence played much with a super small lineup, as small as Providence can get. Sure. But I think they did up there, right, at Rhode Island. Yeah. Rhode Island, they played really small. Took basically Watson and Khalif Young, neither of them were on the court. Much at the same for, time. Yeah, yeah, for a lot of the second half, I feel like, of that game. That mm-hmm. didn't happen today, but it does, it does seem that Creighton uh, this year – has dictated lineups more so than Providence. You know, they, the Providence is reacting to Creighton from mm-hmm. a lineup standpoint more so than Creighton reacting to Providence. Yeah. It just seems like what has happened this year. But it is interesting the way this worked out. I think Creighton's done that to a few different teams that tried to match up with Creighton with smaller lineups. I don't think Marquette's changed at all, but Villanova's gone with Villanova smaller did, lineups. Yeah. Uh, but actually worked. Well, for it does. it does, yeah. yeah, it actually does work well. For yeah, me. but I mean, Seton Hall, same thing. Um, I guess St. John's did at one point, they have five guards on the court for a while there. Yeah, they didn't play their big man, right? Like, right. Five, yeah, Simon yeah, yeah. got hurt or yeah. had a migraine or something, so they have five shooters. Tremble was, the, yeah, yeah. And then, so yeah, like Creighton's dictated matchups a little bit like that. Hasn't always worked, he's played, it hasn't always worked, no, which is odd. it almost didn't work, did um, anybody individuals you want to single out here? Maybe I'm trying to think. Man, it's crazy that Creighton won this game when you look at the three point shooting alone. Like Mitch Ballack was two for ten. Marcus Zagorowski was one for nine. Wow. Davion Mintz was one for five. Tyshawn was nine. three for nine. Like you could just look at the three point shooting for those guys. Even Martin was zero for two. Hmm. The starting lineup's three point shooting was rough. It's what seven for thirty five out of the starters. Yeah. What is that percentage-wise? Um, that's 20%. Yeah. The Creighton won that game. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, Providence wasn't much But, yeah, Providence, <laughs> I mean, they shot the ball like they normally shoot the ball, though. Jackson hit, Jackson hit two of their – it was two for six. The rest of the team was two for 14. That was, a, that was the stat that I looked up, that Jackson – Providence was eight and one when, when Isaiah Jackson – Hit at least two threes. Really? So, what was there one loss? Do you remember? Uh, it was the non-conference, I think. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> probably the Massachusetts game, they believe. It might have been the Massachusetts game. Did I say, should I just say, can you call them Massachusetts or there's always UMass, UMass, right? I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, so now 8-2. Yeah. That was like a 20-point lead they blew at home when Reeves got hurt. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably what. Um, let's see. Marcus, you know, Marcus made some mistakes tonight late in the game. Missed the front end of a free throw. Um, Did he, was he the, the turnover one? on the inbounds was pass? Was that his pass? That, yeah, the baseline out of bounds that went to midcourt with Davion and a jump ball with Jackson that they lost. That led to a bucket to cut the lead to three. So, like, as good as he's been as a freshman so far, that's something that... I was actually wondering. I was just thinking about Marcus because I kind of wrote this thing about how I think he has a case for freshman of the year. Uh-huh. And... I was trying to figure out was there a game that he played that was where he just didn't have it, and I couldn't really come up with one. Where Seton I thought, Hall first game back maybe, but because of the hand, that's uh, true. Obvious. Yeah, you know, like he, he wasn't himself then. Um, 
But it's like hand aside, hand aside, okay. I thought. Like, okay. I feel like he's been really consistent for a freshman. For sure. And this this game, even I don't know if you really... I wouldn't I mean, call it a bad game, but there were definitely some mistakes down the stretch yeah. that almost cost Creighton. Yeah. The front end of the free throw was huge, first of all, because you had the three-point lead with 30-something seconds left. Right. Um, and then, yeah, the I guess inbounding the ball, I think he missed some guys that were open, um, just maybe trying to find the right one. And then, obviously, the, the turnover. But he still went down and cashed a couple free throws late to close the game out, too. So uh, he did end up making, you know, those were two big free throws to, yeah. to seal the deal. So it's not like choked or anything, but I think there were definitely some things that he's going to see on film uh, that he's going to want to he's not going to be able to have him back, but he's going to be able to see on film the things that, the mistakes that he made and ways to correct him, because there were openings and better options that he had, especially with the playmaking out of the on the baseline of bounds yeah. plays that But uh, he had that big layup Did you mention the big layup in overtime? The layup to tie the yeah. game in overtime, yeah, because yeah. he got downhill on the on a left-hand drive yeah. too, which is not his uh, strong, which is not his ball dominant hand. I know, but he's they forced good, him left. He's a good finisher left. But I think teams are trying to force him left now because they think they should be forcing him right. His right hand's got a mess up. It's got a wrap on it. I know, but they're not. They're forcing <laughs> him left. <laughs> right, right. They're giving him left hand seam drives yeah. all day long. So, but he took that one and finished with the right hand on the left hand side of the. Yeah. Earth. So, um, yeah, that was a big play because it tied the game. It got CU going in overtime a little bit. Because that first bucket is pretty important for a team that's reeling at that point. So when you can get that shot to fall, yeah. that was big. It, but so, Teeny was a good play by him. Yeah, because he sealed his man, yeah. and that gave the opening for Marcus to get right. to the rim. Yep. Yeah. So Marcus made some. You know, he was kind of like maybe a little helter skelter tonight for him, but forty-two minutes was a game high. So he handled a big load tonight. Only turned it over twice. So two turnovers in forty-two minutes from. A freshman point guard in a game as physical as this is pretty good. Yeah. And then, like I said, the free throws on the stretch. Although he missed the front end that probably sent it to overtime, uh, he hit a couple late in the overtime period that helped steal the deal. So yeah. a little bit of a mixed bag. He'll probably beat himself up being as harsh of a critic as he is. But I think he'll be able to see, you know, and learn from the film when he watches it. Well, and the one thing that Coach McDermott said after the game is he thought that the mistakes piled up and that Marcus allowed those to impact his play. Mm-hmm. Like, he was kind of beating himself up for making an error, and then he made another error and kind of kept beating himself up and just sort of piled on itself. That sort of mentality of, man, I messed up. Instead of turning the page immediately, and Greg talked about leadership and how it's hard to it's hard to lead a team when you're thinking about the plays you didn't make. And so... You know who are three guys that have really done that this year a lot that you can see that they're beating themselves up and they probably are going to have to figure out how not to do that because the team is going to follow their lead going forward? Mitch, Tyshawn, and Marcus. Yeah. All three of them you can see with their body language and just, and figure out what type of game they're having. You know what I mean? When, when Tyshawn and Mitch are making mistakes or missing shots, they wear it. And tonight, when Marcus is making mistakes late in the game, he wore it. I will say, like, though, so you, like, I know. But that people, the team yeah. feeds off of that. So as they get into upperclassmen, uh, to be upperclassmen and to be more prominent leaders on the team, and then young guys are coming up behind them trying to figure out, you know, where's, where's my energy supposed right. to be here? Who's my, you know, when they're looking to them to see how they should feel in a certain moment, if those guys are down on themselves, it's going to filter throughout the team. So that's something that there's going to have to be, you know, a little bit of a learning curve there, like, you can't wear your frustration as much anymore because you're the guys now. Well, I will say, Tyshawn, when he when Connor skipped that pass out to him, he had missed four threes in a row. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he did a – I mean, I guess shoot or shoot. So, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't going to pass but, up but, that but open earlier, look. But earlier in the season, he struggled with that. Yeah. Right. Like, if he missed one or two, it turned into three, four, or five. Yeah. You know what I mean? It would spiral. So, yeah, he, I mean, the Seton Hall game when he jump-started himself into yeah, that 20-point right. show, like, that that was a sign of Mar- of Tyshawn growing up. Right. And when he closed the DePaul game down the stretch, mm-hmm. another good example. And then tonight when he closed this game, another good yeah. example. So, like, you've seen these guys, you know, 
show that maturation, and it's Mark, it'll be Marcus's turn pretty soon because he did wear that disappointment um, pretty obviously for everybody to see. And that's like like Coach McDermott mentioned, that's something you have to be able to, even if you feel it, not show it, because the team is going to respond to how you look in the moment like right. that when you're the leader of the team. Hmm. Questions? We get to questions? Yeah. We're at 35 of, the, of this game, so let's go to questions. <coughs> Sorry, I didn't have more to set up. Conversation started breaking out in the mentions about who Creighton wants to play <laughs> in New York. You want to start with that? Uh, no, we'll get to it because okay. there's a lot. There's some before that. Um, where's Damian Jefferson? Why hasn't he played? Is the first one from? I don't know what that name is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think Connor's just kind of like the the guy in his spot right now, and he's playing well. Uh, Damian's obviously not a hundred percent healthy right. yet, so that's part of it. But I don't know if I were to put a percentage on if it's like sixty five percent Connor's playing well, thirty five percent Damian's not a hundred percent healthy. That's where I would set it at, I guess, because yeah. Connor's given them good minutes. Right, so it's and tough like, to take him off so the floor Mitch, when you want Mitch to. is your four. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he could slide to the three if you brought Connor in and played the four, or Damian in, he played the four. But essentially, he's almost like his third on the depth chart right now, right? Right, right. At the yeah. four. So, um, it, it does allow for him to kind of... He, do, he, uh, he doesn't look like he's sort of stepped back into his... He, when he was playing, he was playing with a lot of confidence before the injury. Damian was. I, I, mm-hmm. I feel, uh, watching him in practice, I feel like he hasn't quite like found that again. But like he probably doesn't feel like he's there yet. Yeah, like yeah. I, th- I think I don't know if he's as confident in his foot or whatever it is, but um, he just looks like a little bit off. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, like you said, Connor's playing well, so that's yeah. probably the main reason. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from Michael Denman. Explain to me, explain to me why we jacked up twenty plus threes in the. I was like, when they start with explain to me, like, <laughs> I always know they're gonna be fiery. Um, explain to me why we jacked up twenty plus threes in the first half and Martin only got two shots. Twenty three threes, actually. Exactly. Twenty three of twenty nine shot attempts were from beyond the arc. They were. That was a lot. Uh, did we not learn anything during our three game winning streak? Um, I mean, Providence zone was part of it. First part of that is Martin was in foul trouble. That's so also the other part. He only played eight minutes. He only played eight half. minutes, yeah. yeah. That's one. Uh, two, I, you know. Because Creighton did really try to get Martin the ball a lot yeah. in the second half. Right, right away. Right away. I, I feel like I can't put a number on it. They shot 23-3, so maybe like half of them, 15 of them. It felt like Creighton was doing a good job of working the offense, like moving the ball side to side. Getting it inside, kicking it out, um, attacking closeouts, and then spraying. Like I thought that they were doing what they want to do in terms of making the defense sort of retract or contract and expand and move from si- like sideline to sideline and getting good looks. Um, maybe you can make an argument that there are times when the Jays should have challenged shot blockers a little bit more as they dribbled into the paint and tried to take more twos, maybe contested twos, but higher percentage looks than threes, but I thought a lot of the shots, especially in the first half, were pretty good. Now, I think they ended up settling. I feel like as the half wore on, they started to settle more. Um, There was a stretch where Providence switched back to man and started going under ball screens, and Tyshawn pulled he he took he went around a ball screen, pulled up for three, missed it. Mitch did the same thing. Davion did the same thing. He hit his. Davion hit his, but it was like, you know, maybe they're but, sucking you into right. That's kind of what they you, they're yeah. putting you in this mentality of like, Jack they're they're giving you the threes, but they're not quite giving it to you because they're there to mm-hmm. contest it because they are very long. Um, so I just think that uh, I thought the Jays sort of got sucked into what Providence wanted them to do mm-hmm. as the half were on. And 
obviously. They Their last, what was it, last 12 shots of the half were from beyond the three-point line. I think that's right. Yeah. Trying to think I think what, it. Trying I think, to think what wasn't it? What? Yeah, I think it went like missed to missed to. Because their last nine were definitely like Davion hit that one you talked about, and then Mitch hit two in a row to yes. make it twenty eight, and that's what they ended up with in the first half. So yeah. And then they missed they were, six in a row, I think, after that. But. Um, yeah, I just they, they fell in love with it just a little bit too much, and it hurt that they, that Martin wasn't on the floor, for a lot of that. And then Tyshawn got in foul trouble for the final five minutes. He sat for the final five minutes of the first half, too. So yep. they were a little disjointed, and they couldn't. Um, they never could figure it out. Well, they uh, did figure it out. They figured it out in the second half. <coughs> and yeah. Providence adjusted. <laughs> they had to adjust again. <laughs> um, Adam Hester wants to know, Froling is seeing a diminished role the last few games. I'm not even sure. He played at Marquette. That's probably accurate, right? He didn't play at Marquette at all, right? I don't remember. Yeah. Did he get a goose egg? Okay. Sounds right. Uh, what's up? Is he asking? What? I don't know. I think he wants to know what's up with Froling. Oh, okay. What's up, what's up with us? What's up with you, John? Oh, well, not a lot. In case he wants to know. We'll ask, we'll ask for both questions. Um, what's up with me? Uh, you know, just enjoying this Diet Mountain Dew right now. Yeah, just sitting here talking. Podcasting talk- with you. Yeah, sitting here talking Jays. That's what's up with us. Mm-hmm. What's up with Froling? Um... Matchups, man. It's just like you know, That's what matchups. He's not. He's not a a guy you can just stick in against isn't anybody. It, like, isn't it more but, about like their game plan though? They, they it seems like the, it's their defensive game plan. Yes, that they are. They've the last two games in particular, really Georgetown too, but I think he saw some minutes against Georgetown. They've they've incorporated that hard hedge a lot within their defensive game plan in terms of what they're doing with ball screens and. Mm-hmm. Christian's gotten a lot better at it. Martine is incredible. Martine Christian is good at it. Right. Sam is not. Right. So yeah. Exactly. So yeah. that's kind of isn't that the reason? Yep. Basically, it's about having some just defensive disruption on the perimeter in those ball screens and those hard hedges. Yeah. And Sam isn't that type of player, so he can handle a more physical, low post player, and defend those type of guys, which is why you played the night. And why you played him against Georgetown with Govan and LeBlanc, but not necessarily why he's the best option to trap Marcus Howard or just other really, really guys that are going to make you pay because they can get around you and then you're sort what, of. Or like guys that are a little bit susceptible or vulnerable to a double team. Like tonight, I thought Malik White and Makai Ashton Langford. Link, Link, Langford. Yes. Yeah, that's his name. Yeah. Um, that all sounds right. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I would have looked at you funny if it didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I thought those two, they they got rattled in a couple of those moments, and they got the ball ripped away from them, uh-huh. and they didn't they didn't, they weren't making great decisions on the perimeter. Right. Those two, and so I if, mean that's Providence's issue, right? Like they don't have a guy they trust as the point guard, correct? Correct. Yeah, no. I think they want David Duke to be that guy, but he but wasn't. He wasn't not, doing right? it. Yeah. he wasn't really playing that role today. I mean, I'm trying to think. Like, if you look at their turnovers, they had 18, but they were dispersed. Like Ashton Langford had five, and Malik White, White had four. four. Yeah. Duke in only 19 minutes had three. Yeah. So, so yeah, like, those are your primary ball handlers right there, and they had and so, they had 12 or 18 turnovers. It, it, it's it's mm-hmm. crazy. And their assists. Look at their assists. Like. They had three assists and 12 turnovers from your primary ball handlers. So it's in Creighton's best interest to try to put make those guys uncomfortable as, as much as it can. Mm-hmm. And so that's why Crumple and Christian Bishop saw the majority of the minutes at the five because yeah. they're the best at doing that. Yeah. I mean, when you think about Duke and Langford, like, just to break it down even further, eight turnovers in 32 minutes combined. Yeah. That's rough. Mm. Um. And that's probably that's been Providence's issue. They just don't have a. They don't think they have a point guard they trust right now. Right, and those two Ed guys. Ed has got a track record of developing them. That's Chris what I'm Dunn, saying. Bryce Cotton and those Kyrie two Cartwright. guys look like. I mean, they they're highly rated recruits coming in. They're good athletes. I feel like one of them's going to figure it out at some point mm-hmm. between Duke and Makai Ashton Langford, but they just haven't yet this year. So right, that's probably Langford, that might be Langford's the story of the season. Coming to the end of year two, though, so that's I know. Yeah, yeah, might might not be his type of game. Um, I'm. I'm by the way, I'm specifically holding off the tiebreaker question just because it's going to take us a long time to talk about it. But here's a new twist on it from Joey Tempo. Looking at Jay's resume, who do you want to play in NYC? Who do you not want to play? I don't really care. 
Well, I kind of uh, like who does Creighton want to see. I kind of want to not want to see. Well, I kind of want to see him play St. John's because I the think players be, agree with you. I, yeah, I think that they. So, I think it would be a fun matchup, and to see the arena full of angry New York fans would yeah. be a blast. Can you imagine Creighton and St. John's in a three-six game with both of the teams like essentially playing an NCAA tournament playing game? Right at nine o'clock at night at MSG. Yeah. That's what I want. I mean, that would be wild. I don't think as a Creighton. I'm not going, so I'm jealous. Like, <laughs> as a Creighton fan, I don't so think So I want you to get a bad right. game, essentially. Yeah. Like, as a, a boring crowd, no right, juice right. in the building. As a Creighton fan, you don't want that. Uh, I think. Yeah, because that's been a nightmare. That's probably the nightmare matchup so far in the Big East. Yeah. The one team that's... If you've got a team that's got Creighton's number, it's St. John's, John's, right? I would say... I think Seton Hall is a team that Creighton, for 36 minutes, beat twice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Kind of had Georgetown, a they, Georgetown they, they feel, the matchup in terms, of, especially on the perimeter with Georgetown, is really good. And then uh, I think Kratz, I think Crample owns Govan. So like, yeah, and I think Creighton's guards feel really comfortable against those against Georgetown's guards who don't have a lot of length. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Butler, because that's another right. team they can match. They can match can up they, with small they, for small. I don't even know if they can. Well, I guess they could lose to DePaul and then yeah, then they have a chance to play Butler. Right. Um, Xavier too. Xavier's one of them, yeah. for sure. And as long as Xavier's not hitting threes, yeah. Here's the other, here's a twist on it. Like if you're talking about who does Creighton not want to see in New York, if they advance, what side of the bracket does yeah, Creighton want to be on the Villanova side or the Marquette side? Because they've had a chance to beat Villanova once. You could argue the first game got away, so that's not one they had a chance to win. Even though they played pretty well for what twenty five minutes, maybe. Uh, but Marquette's a team they arguably, you know, arguably have beaten twice now. So is that the team they want to play? Mm-hmm. Right. Especially with the way Marquette's playing down the stretch, they're kind of reeling a little bit yeah. right now. Well, Which Cre- team would you rather want to see? Like, do you think Creighton wants to see? I don't know Marquette's. I mean, that, that's kind of been the theme of this of this league is just. If you can catch a team when it's skidding, because each team, 1 through 10, there's really not that big of a difference between the top team and the bottom team. If one of the teams is slumping, mm-hmm. that's that's where you can sort of take advantage of it. And I, I told you, every team in this league, aside from St. John's and Georgetown, has lost three in a row at some point mm-hmm. in the league season. That's crazy. Right. That's crazy. If if you are, if you're off your game, even a little bit, you're gonna get exploited. So, can Marquette figure it out in time? Like right. they, they play Georgetown at home. Maybe that's a get right game for them, right before going into the Big East tournament. Sometimes I mean, that's all it takes. That's gonna be a really interesting game to watch. I don't know when it's on, but I'm hoping I can get to watch it. I'll, you know, we can DVR regardless. But like Georgetown got thumped mm-hmm. tonight. Capital T H U M P E D. Exclamation points right. at DePaul in a game like they came in on a bubble, as a bubble team. They're like, okay, Georgetown, you can kind of play your way into a conversation here. And then DePaul just rolls them. Right. I mean, just smacks the crap out of them. And then. So, I, yeah, back to your question. And though, then, I, so I, then, like, Georgetown and Marquette are kind of both in a situation where it's like. Yeah, they both are oh, kind hey, of slumping. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, that's going to be a weird game to watch. See uh, who is able so, to get right. Yeah, uh, get right game for somebody. Um,. I don't know. I don't know if it really matters outside Villanova or Marquette. I mm-hmm. feel like Creighton can, can. I think you make a case for Creighton matching up, matching up well against either of those right. teams. Something I, I guess if you're if you have to find something you don't want, Jay Wright at MSG is a pretty. <laughs> there you go. You know that's yeah. that's probably one you can you can try to find if you're trying to look for what Creighton doesn't want to see. If, yeah. you, if you can avoid Jay Wright at MSG. But then here's the other counter-argument. is like Marcus Howard, Creighton's really not stopped him. They've right. gotten him to turn it over, but mm-hmm. he has 86 points in two games against him. So They've tried to make what, him beat them by, the, by himself. Right, what if what if he drops 50 again on you, you yeah. know, that type of thing, uh-huh. in, in the place where magic happens at Madison Square Garden? Yeah. Like, yeah, I could see him getting hot and doing something insane. So... Here's a, here's another th- here's another twist to it though, because they'll have to play either of those teams on a second day or third day if they get there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Villanova doesn't have as much depth as Marquette does, so as the tournament wears on, Creighton might have an advantage yeah. in that area of the game. 
but again, I would if I were to choose two, I would say not Jay Wright. Right? Sounds right. Yeah. I think that's fair. Okay. Yeah, not Jay Wright and not seniors, Phil Booth and Eric Pascal. Correct. Yeah, none of that. Um, all right, now let's, let's get ready for this one. Ready? Okay. Is there a path for Creighton to be – this is from Brendan Leppard, sorry. Uh, is there a path for Creighton to be the three-seed in New York – well, that's an easy question to answer. But bas- yes. basically, let's break down this tiebreaker situation. That's like a whole... That's like 40 of the mentions here is, is like tiebreaker questions and stuff like that. There is a path for Creighton to get the three seed. Right. I think it's if, first of all, win. They could Saturday. be three through eight. Can they still be the eight? Um, I believe so. What, what happens... Well, how do they get to the eight? Let's bust this thing out here. This is going to be dead air. John, you want to start singing while we do this? So it's not dead air? Do any songs in your head? Um, That's a good song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's go. Lose to DePaul. Let's see how this works Okay. The, the trusty man, SID of the year, Rob Anderson, says that Creighton could be three, four, five, seven, eight, or nine. Really? Nine? Let's give Georgetown a win. Let's give Butler a win. Yep, there's a great at the nine. Playing Providence. Wait, no. Playing Seton Hall. In that scenario, St. John, Seton Hall, Creighton, and Providence are the play-in team. Can you believe that? <laughs> How are those teams still play-in teams, possibly? Yeah, I mean, there's DePaul five. is the six in that thing. Butler's the five. Xavier's the four. Georgetown gets the three seed. What what is the scenario that you've the scenario I created been? was basically all the road teams winning except for Xavier. So DePaul beats. So if Georgetown wins at Marquette. DePaul wins at Creighton. Butler wins at Providence. Villanova wins at Seton Hall, and that creates the scenario where Georgetown gets the three based on over Xavier based on record against number two teams, uh, and then Butler and DePaul. And St. John's and Seton Hall are in a, oh, and Creighton. All those teams are in a five-way tie for fifth. <laughs> well, Which results in Creighton getting a nine, Seton Hall eight, St. John's seven, DePaul six, Butler five. Right. Good Lord. What a mess. I mean, if you win, if you're Creighton and you win, the, the worst you can be is, is a five. Yeah, I think that looks right, yeah. Because you're in a five-way tie for third place right now and one of the two two of those teams play each other mm-hmm. St. John Xavier play each other so one of those teams is going to drop to 8 and 10 so you're moving you're in you're off the play-in game the play-in day if you win right and based on tie records they can't go lower than a 5 so that's where we start if hey, they, you know what the really fun part about it is is Creighton's going to know what it has to do when they tip. Because Seton Hall and Villanova, Providence and Butler both tip off at 11 a.m. Marquette and Georgetown tips off at 1.30. Xavier St. John's tips off at 4. Creighton DePaul's at 7. Yeah. So Creighton, unless St. John's and Xavier are in a five-overtime game, Creighton is going to know what its outcome is based on a win or loss before they even right. start warming but, up. But the thing is, is you don't really need to know because... Well, if, for the fans, I mean... I yeah, that's true. Sorry. Because if you're Creighton, you lose and you're going to the play-in day. You win and... Is there a scenario where they lose and don't? There's still a scenario right there, isn't there? I don't think there is. No? Lose is play-in day no matter what? Yeah. Okay. So that so okay, just, kind of be... So don't even worry simple. about it? Just worry about DePaul? That's what I would say. I mean, if you want to be in the tournament team, you probably can't lose to DePaul. No, you definitely can't lose to DePaul right? at home. Yeah. That's a quad three game. Okay. Yeah. I mean, no. So regardless of Big East tournament standing, don't lose to DePaul because you're playing for a little bit. Right now you can play your way into an at-large still without having to win the Big East tournament. Yes. If you lose to DePaul, that's gone. Right. You have to win the Big East tournament. Yes. And, and four games. And you'd have to win four and four days. It's, right. it's a huge game on Saturday. Like the, Yeah, easily. Like It's funny because DePaul, Creighton versus DePaul is the biggest game of the season for Creighton. Now. Yes. Yeah. Last year it was Creighton Villanova. Year before that, I don't know. 
what that game was, but in the regular uh, season, biggest game of the year. I don't know. They kind of well the year before that they kind of backed in because they lost at home to Xavier on the buzzer beater. Right, the, and they the, lost at the home to Providence home. too. Lost at home to Providence. I feel like one of the bigger games of the year was the win at Buffalo. No, you know what the biggest game was? Probably the Providence quarterfinal. Oh yeah, winning yeah. that one winning in New that York. One. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, I think both every everybody in the semifinals was in at that point. Yeah. So yeah, the quarterfinal against Providence is probably the biggest one. And then they beat Xavier on the buzzer beater. Yep. Or close to. Oh right. It was like six seconds. That's true. That's six point six, I think, was when Bikura he got. Off. He got a shot off. He did. Uh, we got one more question late arrival. Where's Denzel Mahoney missing on the bench? Uh, we've been told personal matter. Yeah. That's all we know. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's all we got for that. And that's the end of our questions. So, uh, we're still under an hour. You want to talk a little bit about DePaul and Creighton? Yeah, let's We have it. kind of heated it up a little bit as the biggest game of the year, and it is, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, but, yeah, DePaul is, like, on some kind of heater right now, aren't they? It's more just Max. Eight, 92 points against St. John's, 101 against Georgetown. Max Struess. Did Dave Vlado just unleash a new offense on the Big East without in the last minute of the season? I think he let... Matt Yeah, there it is. Oh, my God. Yeah, he had 30 tonight against Georgetown on 8 of 15 from 3. Uh, he had 43 against the Johnnies. And, uh, yeah, DePaul's rolling right now. I'm not really sure what's what's switched with them, but... Yeah, I haven't, I mean, I haven't watched them. I watched a little bit of the St. John's game, but... I watched their game at Georgetown. They didn't look like they were close to this. Mm-hmm. And when I stopped watching the St. John's game to go cover Creighton DePaul, right? Yeah, was yeah, it was that day. Uh, they were, like, losing by seven, so. Then Struis got hot. That's true. That's what happened. Yeah. I mean, Georgetown's not a very good defensively, so that That's could be true. part of it. But Jesse Govan no-showed. He was right. one for six. I mean, I'm just really eager to see what DePaul has as a counter to Creighton's game plan and how the Jays sort of prepare for that inevitable counter. Because Creighton did a really good job of keeping Paul Reed and Olajobi. 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 The two big men out of the paint. I mean, they. Olajobi. Olajobi. That's it. Yes, that's it. Femi Olajobi. Yeah, if you say the first name, it helps you fly into this. Femi Olajobi. Femi Olajobi. Paul Reed. Well, first off, they got in foul trouble, but even when Early. they came, yeah, yeah, even when they came back in the game, like it was hard for DePaul to run its offense through them mm-hmm. because the Jays did such a good job of double teaming and playing. They played off uh, Devin Gage, and he he had just, ten assists, one turnover tonight. Oh wow! Only shot the ball one time. That's the type of player they need him to be, yeah. honestly. Yeah. But he took he how many shots did he have against Creighton? Like 17, 16. 16, 17? He was four yeah. for 16. He just kept shooting. Right. And so he's going to make an adjustment, mm-hmm. and DePaul as a team is going to make an adjustment. Are they, though? I, I would imagine. Okay. Like, they got they have to. they got to do something. I mean, no, they have to. I just don't know if they... I, I think what you'll see is he will just be more aggressive and attack downhill more mm-hmm. instead of... Settling for jumpers, I think you'll see him put his head down and try to get to the rim. I'll tell you one and maybe thing. Maybe create for others once Creighton sort of collapses to him. So he may be the most important player of the game, even though he's not the scorer that Struess is or the uh, the threat inside that Paul Reed and mm-hmm. Femi Alujabi is are. But how Gage handles Creighton's game plan might be the most important element, and how Creighton is able to either make tweaks or be prepared for, like I said, an inevitable adjustment from DePaul because they can't do what they did Here's, in Chicago. That did that was very bad. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think Creighton's playing def- better defensively than St. John's or Georgetown right now. So, they're, they, you know, they'll probably be able to slow DePaul down a little bit more than the last two games have shown. But the offense is probably going to kick it back into yeah, gear because yeah. it looks like they're going to have to score to win this game um, at a high rate because DePaul is coming in hot right now yeah. and their I mean as hot offensively yeah. as any team their offense really. was pretty good at DePaul um, uh, Creighton's was yeah. yeah yeah, especially in the second half and the end of the first half so yeah but here's but, the one thing that like helps Creighton 
is a team like Providence and then a team like DePaul. DePaul is essentially like a better shooting version of Providence, and Crystal Creighton just played that team tonight, essentially. They're going to have to deal with a lot of physicality inside. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to battle on the boards uh, because they can really attack De- DePaul defensively. They can score on DePaul and get a lot of good shots against DePaul because of the way DePaul plays on that end of the floor. They go under a lot of screens. They're terrible in transition. Yeah. Uh, you know, Creighton can exploit a lot of that offensively and get some good looks. Uh, they'll have to shoot the ball better, but they'll also, you know, making the defensive class a priority is going to be key because you can't give DePaul – you can't let DePaul own you in that area of the game because that's where they really get going. Right. So, yeah, that's the matchup, right? Um, anything else missing here? You want to highlight anybody, individual players, anything like that? No. I think we're good. Crowd was really loud at the end of the game. Or once Tyshawn made those two plays, by the way, I thought the crowd was. was just yeah, and when Martin went to the heavens to grab that out of the oop, mm, yeah. yeah, he had to go hide. I thought that was way too high, <laughs> and he pulled that thing down. Yeah, um, yeah, I heard your the I crowd heard you was react. I heard jacked you react. up for that. So I was like, oh no, David, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. Oh, <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, you caught it. Nice. I know. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a full house, but Mm-mm. those those that were there were loud. For sure. Especially in overtime. I, I mean, Saturday, is, Saturday should be, right? A 7 p.m. Saturday did, night tip Did off? I hear somewhere that, that was, it's the first Saturday yep. game Saturday of, night. Yeah. Saturday night game of Big East play? Or of the year? The season. The season. Because Gonzaga, Gonzaga was, was day. a day game. That might be, is that the only other Saturday game? Um, I think it might have been. Nebraska was a Saturday night in Lincoln, right? Wasn't that a... Yeah, okay. that was a, a late was that afternoon, it? early evening, I think. Is that what five, you would call that? I think it was like 5, five wasn't o'clock? it? Yeah, that's evening. Late that, afternoon. That's not afternoon. Is it, I feel like during this... That's not night, but it's evening. Yeah. If right? it's summertime, five, 5 is... That's afternoon. No, it's not. Yeah. I disagree. Well, because the sun's not going down for like 5 more hours, so you can't, but, it can't be evening. But it's the, like 5 hours afternoon. It's like the hottest point of the day. It's not the evening. Doesn't feel like it. So when does evening start? Uh, it just fluctuates based on season. <laughs> no, because five it, o'clock is evening. Because right now, I think I think three p.m. feels like the evening. Does it? I don't know. It did a month ago. Well, in that case, Creighton's practicing tomorrow evening. <laughs> At so, three forty-five. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, anything you want to tease? Omaha.com. Uh, obviously, the recap notebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anything, anything in the hopper for Well, I did day? this thing where I was talking to different players. We'll see how it turns out. But I I uh, asked one or two guys initially if there, if there's a basketball hoop that they remember training on, what was it? And why is it sentimental to you? Like, why does it? You know, what, like a what, court or like a park? Yeah, park like, like where did you sort of make your hay as a young player? All right. Um, That's pretty cool. And just had them sort of tell stories. So I've got like Were seven. the answers cool? Like I thought that? a lot of guys told pretty good stories and had some, I thought, some pretty sentimental sort of reflections on how far they've come or what they did to get here type mm-hmm. thing. And so... You asked everybody on the team that? Not everybody. Oh, I was going to say, that's going to be I've, a long... I've talked to, a, I've, I've probably got seven or eight guys. Mm-hmm. And I might try for a couple more, but so that I think that's what I'm I'm gonna put together for Saturday. Nice. That sounds like it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I'm, Did you, I'm, you're happy with the answers you got so far? Yeah. Not to I give anything so. away right, right now, but but I'm not. I just have, have haven't quite figured out how I'm gonna put it together. Mm-hmm. But so that was that's coming. Probably write something on Audrey Faber, sort of her uh, potentially her last ride, career retrospective type of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. This weekend, as the Jays go to the Big East tournament, women's team mm-hmm. need into what they got to win twice to get to to, to be postseason eligible. Right to be yes. postseason eligible, so and that, both of those will be likely be Butler and DePaul, which is not those have two been, games you're gonna want to have to win. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And at that point, you might as well just win the whole tournament because then you've beaten. I've heard two, that so many times uh, this I week. Mean, like you've, you've beaten two of the it's best. Funny teams that you in the say league. that too, because I'm like, yeah. well, you got to win two games to be. 
postseason eligible. And they're like, yeah, but if you win the two, you might as well win the last yeah. one and just go to the NCAA tournament again. I mean, I'm just like, well, I never thought about it like that, but I guess you're right. So, but everybody literally says, I haven't yeah. heard one person say, well, yeah, it's, just it's, two it's, and we're it's done. It's so difficult to get two, mm-hmm. those two. It's like, I don't know. If you can do that, you could surely you can win the last one. Yeah, game. and I was in Chicago when they were the play-in team and won their way all the way to the final and ran out of gas. But So I've seen them do it. Mm. So it's not, and there's a lot of the same kids on this team. You know, Jade Owens, Audrey Faber, both played huge roles on that team. Uh, so, like, there's, there's not just an irrational sense of belief. They've got a couple of kids who play heavy minutes on this year's team that have done that. So, they know what they know what it takes, um, and that's what it, they'll have to do it because otherwise their season's over if they suffer a loss before the, before the finals. So, um, what you got? I've got, well, obviously the post-game stuff here. Uh, this podcast will be up probably tonight. And I asked Martin the question that everybody's been wanting to ask about if he's staying or going uh, in terms of playing pro or coming back next year. So he gave the typical answer to that, but I'll probably write about that before the DePaul game. And then on the women's side of it, they're like shutting down social media a little. Uh, some of them are like going. I saw some people yeah. tweeting bye bye Twitter or something. Yeah. Or bye bye social media. There's different reasons about it, but some of them are basketball related. Um, but LeBron calls it zero dark thirty, so I'm calling it zero dark birdie for Creighton. So I think gotcha. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna attach. I'm gonna latch onto that and see what I can make of it. Uh, for the Big East Women's Tournament starting, they'll play Sunday night. I think against Butler. Yeah. Um, so that's what we've got in the coming up for you and. The next time you'll hear from us, we'll talk to you after Creighton's game against DePaul, and then we'll preview the Big East Tournament as well. Uh, So in the meantime, thanks for tuning in. We love the questions. We love the comments. Uh, We appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Um, It's been fun to bring it to you for another season. And, like, as always, our access is your access. We appreciate the interaction. Um, Hope everybody has a great night and a good rest of the week, and we'll talk to you on Saturday night. Thanks, everybody.